Welcome back to the Bend in the Trail podcast, episode 14. Kenji and his victim are fleeing Kyoto, heading for Hokkaido. Both must evade potential pursuers. Kenji has only a few days to join Katsu. Emily gently closed the fan and placed it on the nightstand. She pondered all that she had seen and heard in the last few hours and breathed a sigh of relief at Mr. Ito not lying in a heap on the floor. How on earth did he come up with an ear, if that's what's really in the box? She shivered at the thought of someone missing one. Closing her eyes, she drifted into another restless sleep, the story playing in her dreams and shifting from one scene to another. In the early morning light, her eyes fluttered open, still heavy with sleep, thinking about Kenji's dilemma. How could he leave his mother alone in that place, not knowing where he was? What was that old man going to do to her once he realized Kenji had deserted? She got out of bed, carefully hung up the kimono in the closet, and went downstairs, hoping not to wake Grandmother. She needn't have worried. Grandmother, already sitting at the kitchen table, offered her a cup of tea and began making her some breakfast. I don't need much sleep these days, Grandmother said with a smile, when Emily apologized for disturbing her. You, however, do, and I'm beginning to see bags under your eyes. Yeah, I've got a lot on my mind, I guess. After clearing away the breakfast things, Grandmother convinced Emily to go with her to the local cultural center, where there were not just old people, but younger ones as well. Some of the older folks were conversing in Japanese, which in a bit of confusion Emily realized she didn't understand a word of, until she remembered she didn't have on the kimono. She could see a couple of rooms with glass windows where a Japanese language class was going on, and a lady in another small room was instructing a couple girls on how to conduct a tea ceremony. She wondered why her mom had never taken her to this place when they visited, or whether there was one near where she lived. After lunch at a Japanese restaurant, where Emily decided to actually order something else besides a hamburger and fries, they headed back to Grandmother's house. Back upstairs, Emily put on the kimono, trying to smooth out some wrinkles that had come from sleeping in it. Sitting on the bed, propped up against some pillows, she opened the fan. The now familiar voice of the narrator continued where she had left off the previous night. Chapter 7. The Journey North Kenji silently left the way he had entered. As he returned the way he had come to Mr. Ito's home, he passed the place where he had left his watcher tied and gagged. Not surprisingly, he was no longer there. The cords he had been tied with, and the gag, however, were still there. This fact concerned Kenji a great deal, and he wondered if he were still being followed. He made his way back to the inn and discreetly found his way to the room where he had rented to sleep, if only for a few hours. Changing his clothes before anyone stirred, he no longer looked like the beggar of two days before. He waited until the workers began to go looking for their breakfast and sought out the innkeeper. After paying him, he said, Please, have a reliable person return this box to the village of Izumi on the outskirts of Iga City. Tell them to ask for Jiro Yoshida. They will guide you to him. Tell him that Kenji has completed the mission. The innkeeper bowed and Kenji walked swiftly away. Soon after Kenji had gone, 
Another young man arrived at the inn, rubbing the back of his head slightly. He gave the innkeeper Kenji's description and was told, uh, He left not more than an hour ago. I am with him, said the young man, whose name was Hitoshi. He asked that this box be returned to one named Jiro Yoshida, replied the innkeeper. Hitoshi bowed slightly, examined the box and its contents, nodded, and after eating something, walked away, wondering why this mission seemed to be ending so strangely, and wondered suspiciously what Kenji was doing. Hitoshi turned toward the village of Izumi, and wondered how to report this strange turn of events. Meanwhile, Kenji decided it would be wise to change appearances again as soon as possible. At a temple he passed at the edge of Kyoto, he was able to secure amongst robes and a wide cone-like hat, large enough to hide most of his face and provide some protection from the light rain which began to fall. He had also managed to find a bowl in one of the stalls which lined the road he traveled. The advantage of the bowl was that many people along his travels were willing to offer a small portion of food or money to passing monks. This saved Kenji from having to spend what little money he had left. The key to his success in beginning a new life was to be completely unrecognized as he traveled. In the world of Shinobi, they could be anywhere on some mission or another. He had come to know many from his clan, and might encounter any one of them on his travels. He tried to stay away from the main roads as much as possible. In order to be on time to meet Mr. Ito, he would have to find a way to travel as quickly as he could. As he walked, Kenji acquired a long, stout, wooden staff, which, along with his hidden kusari fundo, or weighted chain weapon, would be more than sufficient to protect him from road bandits, who were known sometimes to attack even monks. In addition, he had been trained to use his body to protect himself as well. At the end of the first day, Kenji realized that at the rate he was traveling, it would be difficult to be on time to meet Mr. Ito at the north end of Honshu Island. Oh there, monk, said a voice from behind Kenji. He turned suddenly, startled by the loud voice interrupting his thoughts. Will you consider joining our troop of traveling entertainers? The man, speaking, had a very loud, annoying voice for one so short. We could use a monk to tell us stories and keep us from going astray, said this stranger with a wink. I'm afraid I must move more quickly than you and your troop are moving. Well, it'll be our loss, replied the small man. The day was coming to a close. The sky was beginning to darken, and Kenji's stomach was telling him it was time to eat. Well, perhaps you could stay with us just tonight, then. We're to perform in the next village, and they'll probably feed us. I've never known a monk to turn down a meal, the man joked in good humor. That offer I will accept, Kenji said with some relief. At least this would conserve his remaining money and he would travel better in the morning after a good night's sleep. In the next village, the actors and entertainers found a suitable place to perform, and the crowds began to gather. The fading light of late afternoon presented the perfect timing for thieves and pickpockets to begin their work. They slipped among the villagers, most of whom were poor farmers and peasants, and as a result gained very little in the way of money. In the morning, after a good meal given to the troop and Kenji as a reward for the previous day's entertainment, they left the village for the open road. Some hours later, on an isolated stretch of road, a dozen or more thuggish-looking men approached the small band of travelers. They appeared to be armed with stout staffs in their hand and knives in st uh, sashes around their waists. 
Ho there, travelers, what have you to spare for penniless wanderers? Since we are also wanderers, as you can easily see, and not much better off than you, well, I would say the answer is nothing, teased the small actor. So you wish to be impudent, do you? snarled the largest of the men, who had a long scar on his right cheek, just below his eye. Perhaps we should see what you have in your cart and on your persons. The actors and entertainers, used to life on the road, pulled their own staffs from the cart. They were ready to protect what precious little they had. In spite of the brave face they put on, however, they knew the four of them were no match for these hardened criminals. As the thugs drew their wicked-looking knives, which appeared to be about a foot long, Kenji raised his staff and took a fighting stance. You stay out of this, monk, or your temple will be minus one monk. Before any of the men could make a move, Kenji had begun his attack, and with lightning-like swiftness began to beat the largest of the men. He soon had knocked the blade from his hand, and was about to lay into the others. The others in the troop, motivated by Kenji's attack, soon joined in. Suddenly, a mounted rider came charging into the melee. The man dismounted, and pulling his sword from its sheath, joined Kenji in the fight. At the sight of what was obviously a samurai sword, which could easily separate arms, legs, and heads from one's torso, the men ran as fast as they could through nearby woods to escape. Putting his sword back in its sheath, he turned to Kenji. Well, monk, I don't know where you learned to fight, but you've given a good account of yourself today. Kenji bowed deeply as a sign of respect for the samurai's rank, as did the acting troupe. Had they not, the samurai would have been right to remove the offender's head from his shoulders if he chose to do so. But, aside from the penalty for disrespect, Kenji would be in greater danger if he were discovered to be a shinobi. The shinobi and samurai were sworn enemies, and several samurai leaders had been assassinated by them. The samurai, who introduced himself as Sir Saburo, was of a lean, wiry build, and every inch a warrior. So, Muck, do you travel with these vagabonds to protect them? As it happens, I've only traveled with these good folks since yesterday. I'm actually on my way to the north end of Honshu. I must be there in three days, if at all possible. Well, if you wish, you may travel with me. I have friends along the way who will gladly assist, and you can easily make it on time. Will these vagabonds miss your protection? I'm sure we'll do just fine, said the small man, brandishing a short staff above his head. I believe those thieves would have gotten a beating from me had this monk not stepped in, he said with a grin. Kenji mounted the horse behind the samurai, and they rode off to the home of his friend. My friend will gladly arrange transportation for a passing monk in exchange for a blessing, and at the word of Sir Saburo, remarked the samurai. At that, Kenji became extremely nervous. He was only pretending to be a monk. What if he tried to give a blessing, and they discovered he was no monk at all? In the presence of two samurai, he would stand no chance of survival at all. I very much admire your fighting style. Where did you learn to handle a staff like that? said Sir Saburo as they rode. Quickly, Kenji replied, Oh, uh, an old man in my village began instructing me when I was very young. Oh, well, from the looks of you, that wasn't too long ago. Sir Saburo commended with a grin. Hoping the samurai wouldn't ask too many more questions, Kenji decided to keep quiet for the rest of the ride. At the beautiful home of Sir Saburo's friend, Kenji silently breathed a great sigh of relief when it seemed that the blessing had been forgotten.
The two samurai chatted like two close friends. Finally, they got around to discussing Kenji's plight, and Sir Saburo's friend said, You're in luck, monk. I have a friend going your way. He will make sure you get to your destination. Kenji bowed deeply, but kept silent. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please join us again next time. Until then, happy trails.